Welcome to the She Who Overcomes podcast. I'm Mandy B. Anderson, and a few years ago, I started a life and business coaching company with my bestie. I'm a wife, a business owner, a coach, a speaker, and the author of the book that inspired this podcast, She Who Overcomes, Rising Out of the Ashes of Your Circumstances. I'm also training to run my first half marathon. Oh, and did I mention I'm doing all of this while overcoming a life-threatening illness called cystic fibrosis? It's true. And hey, if I can rise up, so can you. Each week on this podcast, I'll be here to encourage and equip you with the skills you need to rise up as the successful overcomer you were designed to be. So grab your coffee and let's hang out. Hey, welcome back to the She Who Overcomes podcast. I'm super excited to share today's episode with you. And I have to tell you a little bit of a, well, maybe I need to give you a disclaimer that I might get emotional on this one. Maybe not, but I might. So uh, today's episode is called She Is Brave Enough to Keep Going, and it's all about the courage to look crazy. It's from chapter eight of my book, She Who Overcomes. And as I'm recording this, it's actually uh, April 30th, 2019. And you'll see why that's significant as the story goes on. Um, I want to let you know that this is a very heartfelt story that I'm about to share with you. It's about my journey with cystic fibrosis, about some of the things that I've experienced, some of the choices that I've had, and so, um, or the choices that I've made, actually. And as you can tell, I'm kind of messing up my words already. So this is going to be a fun episode. I just want to. Um, give you a chance to maybe pour some coffee and let's just hang out. I'm going to read to you some of my journal entries from 2012. I'm going to be really vulnerable and honest with you about what I experienced, how I was let down, and what's happened in my life since then. And I'm going to actually continue the story to kind of catch you up on next week's episode with my best friend, Rachel. So, okay. Let's dive in, and I'm just going to share it all with you and lay it all on the line. So here we go. The following is a journal entry from May 3rd, 2012. Dear Lord, well, I've been in the hospital for four days now, back to doing treatments and on tons of antibiotics. This morning, my doctor didn't have any good news. In fact, my entire medical team looks at me with tears in their eyes and can't seem to find the words to say, which basically makes the situation seem quite dire. But I do see good news. For instance, my oxygen levels are coming back up. I showered by myself today. I've gained three pounds since being admitted. My lungs sound clear. I have peace that I'm doing the right thing by being here. But Lord, when I have too much time to think, my mind wanders. And the places it travels to don't offer a lot of hope. And I haven't actually spent time with you because I'm tired, lonely, and I feel like you've abandoned me. But you promised that you'll never leave me nor forsake me, so I know that you're here. Lord, heal my hurting heart. It is so wounded right now, in many ways. And heal my body. Forgive me if I've been wrong the last two years. I still believe you've healed me in some way, 
and that I will recover from all of this, but I really need you right now. You guys, overcomers are not bulletproof. We feel pain and sorrow, and sometimes, sometimes we get weary. Sometimes we feel abandoned. Sometimes we need encouragement. Sometimes we need a sign that we're on the right path. For me, that's where Revelation 3, 8 through 11 came in. It says this, I see what you've done. Now see what I've done. I've opened a door before you that no one can slam shut. You don't have much strength. I know that. You used what you had to keep my word. You didn't deny me when times were rough. And watch as I take those who call themselves true believers, but are nothing of the kind, pretenders, whose true membership is in the club of Satan. Watch as I strip off their pretensions, and they're forced to acknowledge it's you that I've loved. Because you kept my word in passionate patience, I'll keep you safe in the time of testing that will be here soon, and all over the earth every man, woman, and child put to the test. I'm on my way. I'll be there soon. Keep a tight grip on what you have so no one distracts you and steals your crown. That was Revelation 3, 8 through 11 from the Message Virgin. So my eyes have read over these words countless times, especially when my soul was desperate for encouragement. When I was unsure about taking a leap of faith, these words reassured me. When I was struggling to find meaning in the valley of loss, these words helped me to keep going. And when I felt like a failure, these words helped shift my perspective. Now see what I've done. In verse 8, God is literally asking us to view our circumstances in a different light. When we're tired and weary and have lost all of our strength, it's easy to be a downer. It's easy to be negative and crabby. It's easy to feel hopeless. Yet, it is in those moments that God wraps His arms around us and reminds us to take another peek. Walk away from our agendas, our broken hearts, and our weary feelings so we can look at things from His perspective. Even in our darkest moments, He has opened a door that only He can open. I'm encouraged not only by the reminder that God is keeping me safe, but also by the characteristics that He celebrates in this passage. He reminds his people of the ways that they have overcome. They held on even when they were weary. They didn't deny Jesus when times got rough. They activated patience and endured. They were steadfast. They didn't get distracted by pettiness, but instead held on to God's promises and visions. They looked to God and for God in every situation. They held on to their faith and kept going even when others thought they were crazy. That's what overcomers do. Even when they are weary, they keep going. Even when they are caught up in pain and sorrow, they keep going. Even when they feel abandoned, they keep going. Yes, they might need to have some encouragement. They might need to be refilled with truth and love. But no matter what, 
Overcomers stay focused on the doors that God is opening, and they willingly keep going forward without looking back on the doors that God has closed. They are never afraid to keep going. Vulnerable. Heart cracked wide open for you to see. That's how I feel as I begin to bring this chapter together for you. From the very beginning of this project, I knew that this would be the hardest chapter to write because it's the most personal. Yet I have this feeling that maybe you can identify with my journal entry from a moment ago. Maybe there's been a time in your life where the places that your heart wandered to didn't offer much hope. Maybe you've experienced seasons where you felt tired, lonely, and abandoned by God too. Maybe the ashes in your life have been choking you and burying you so deep that you feel as though the end is right around the corner. Maybe you really need him right now in this very moment. It's because of that very real possibility that I feel a moral obligation to share a very personal story with you that paints a picture of what Revelation 3, 8 through 11 looks like in real life, even though I feel slightly afraid of it. So here goes. There was a time in my life where all I wanted was to experience a supernatural, full physical healing of cystic fibrosis. I believe that God heals diseases even when there is no cure available. I have met people who have been paralyzed with no hopes of medical intervention, and they now walk because God healed them. I believe this happens, and I wanted to experience it myself. I wanted to be done with the treatments and free of the bondage. I wanted to walk away from it all and have medical documentation that proved God's work in my life. I wanted to know what it was like to be normal without the haunting ghost named cystic fibrosis forever following me around. This desire became so strong that it was my prayer for several years. I sought after this with everything in me. As I did, the journey God led me on became one that taught me bravery, faith, and the depth of God's love like I had never known before. Now, if you would have told me in my teenage years that there would be a two-year season in my life where I stopped doing breathing treatments and medication required to survive from CF, I would have thought you were crazy. My parents raised me to be responsible. They also raised me to walk by faith. And sometimes the two don't look anything alike. In March of 2010, at a business event in Jacksonville, Florida, I felt God Almighty touch my body in a way I had never experienced before. As my business coach prayed for a physical healing of CF over me, I felt a stirring in the depths of my soul, and my lungs began to drain in a really funny way. Now, I had been to plenty of healing services in the past, and I'd always come away from them completely hopeful, completely excited, only to find that my lung functions had actually dropped over the last few months instead of getting better, even though I had done all of my medication faithfully and remained the model patient. This time was different. This time I felt amazing. I went back to my hotel room that evening and told God that I was all in. There was no going back. I was 100% committed to walking by faith, so I took all my medication and I flushed it down the toilet. 
please hear me loud and clear. I am not giving any medical advice here. I'm simply telling you the facts of what happened to me personally. Do not follow in my footsteps. Don't do that. It didn't end well. So the next morning, I woke up breathing better than ever, and I did something I could never do. I ran a mile with absolutely no pain and no gasping for air. It was amazing. I ran a mile across this bridge in Jacksonville, and I still remember, even now, seven years later, the thrill of of being able to do that without medicine. A week later, I was still running, only now I was also singing while I ran on the treadmill. It was crazy, and Nate just stood there and stared at me with a big smile on his face. The fact that I could run and had so much energy built my faith, because this should have been impossible, especially given the fact that I had not done any breathing treatments or asthma inhalers for days. As time went on, and people around me expressed fear and doubt of God's ability to heal CF, the spiritual warfare became thick. The medical documentation I had hoped to see didn't quite add up, and I began to learn the valuable lesson of believing God's promises instead of the medical reports. My lung functions dropped from about 85% of normal down to 75%, and then to 50% eight months after that night in March. Now, I know you're probably thinking to yourself, gosh, Mandy, how stupid can you be, right? I know there are some of you who are thinking that. I get it. But believe me, I wondered at times too, but I also have to confess that I felt so strong and so good and I could run for 20 minutes at a time and never once felt pain or gasped for air like I used to when I was on medicine. In fact, I even ran my first 5K race during this time. That's something I never imagined I could accomplish, even on medicine. You guys, bold faith often looks crazy to those who are not on the same path. Throwing my medication away and choosing to walk by faith that God would heal my body with his touch alone was one of the craziest things I've ever done. But I felt deep in my heart that this was the path I was to take. I just didn't know why at the time. The months turned into years, and after a devastating miscarriage in December of 2011, along with the remaining stress of PTSD from the fire, it became harder and harder to hold on to my faith and believe that I truly was healed of CF. Buried emotions in deep trauma can make the human body physically ill. And the symptoms of that closely mirrored those of cystic fibrosis. Panic attacks made my chest hurt. Coughing attacks began happening every morning. And I constantly questioned whether it was CF or the deep depression and sadness that I found myself in that was causing this pain. And truthfully, it was probably a little bit of both, each feeding off of each other, the perfect storm just waiting for the perfect moment to unleash its wrath. There were nights where Nate and I would wake up and pray for hours because I would have a coughing attack that came out of nowhere. As soon as we got done praying, the coughing would be gone and it would stay away for days. When people around me became skeptical of God's ability to heal CF, 
My body would react to it by coughing the entire time we were together. But then I would spend time with my closest friends who would encourage me and pray for me and believe in the healing with me, and you wouldn't hear me cough once. It was so strange and quite frustrating, to be honest. In the moments where I began to feel as crazy as people were beginning to think I was, I would look for the proof. I could run with no pain. I could sing, even at 50% lung functions, which one respiratory therapist told me at the time, after hearing me sing at a conference, that it should be impossible to do that. It was the craziest season of my life, the craziest season I had ever walked through. The pages of my journals from the five months of January to May 2012 are marked with the persistent, courageous, desperate, and vulnerable cries of a wounded soldier in spiritual warfare. If the yellow walls of our apartment during that season could talk, they would paint a frightening picture. On the weeks when Nate was gone for work, loneliness would swallow me whole. Hours would pass before I'd find the strength to get out of bed. Several times, I spent more than 30 minutes in the shower, hunched over on the floor hugging my legs as my tears mixed in with searing hot water, drifting down the drain in search of a happier dwelling place. Standing up was becoming more of a chore than I ever realized it could be as my legs were becoming weaker by the day. All of my energy was being used up to supply the simple task of breathing that had become not so simple after all. Every muscle in my body ached, and even the idea of hugging another person painted a picture of such physical pain in my mind that I walked around hunched over, hugging myself protectively to keep others from adding to the torture. Cracked ribs and chest pains were my new normal and daily morning panic attacks made me drop five pounds nearly each week. I saw myself wasting away every time I looked in the mirror. My emaciated frame was not the picture of health and healing that I had imagined. It hurt to look at myself, and the lies and labels of skinny, sick girl screamed louder than they ever had before. Not knowing where to turn for comfort, I often found myself doing the only thing I could think to do, reading the Bible. God's words were the only thing that soothed my broken spirit. There were nights where the coughing attacks were so treacherous that all I could do was cry out to God for healing and scream out His promises. Sometimes the screams were more questions of, where are you, than confessions of faith. Other times I could barely get a whisper out, and my prayers were nothing more than lips moving without sound. Faith seemed to be all that I had left, and it was hanging by a thread. Everything I thought my life would be was crumbling at my feet. Yet somewhere deep inside me, I knew, I just knew, that God's promises would show themselves true in due time. If only I could hang on long enough to see them come to pass. The situation looked hopeless. It looked as though the end was near and happiness was forever lost to the living hell that I found myself fighting to get out of. Yet, even in the darkest moments, God's words rang loud and clear. One night, 
I felt a love letter being written across my heart from God to me, and I penned it in the pages of my journal. Here's what he said. My child, we will work through this together. I will not abandon you, nor will I destroy you. This will not destroy you. Just as a seed has to die before it sprouts, you are dying to old destructive thought patterns and being molded by truth. You have bondage-breaking faith, boldness, and courage to face painful things for my glory. I gave you that boldness. I gave you that courage. I gave you that faith. For a long time it has been trampled on, but it is better to trust in the Lord than to trust in man, even if that means trusting God over your loved ones. This is the time to trust me fully. Seek me with all of your heart and all of your mind and all of your soul, and you will find me. My promises are true. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will not make you feel guilty or manipulate you or try to control you. I will listen to you, love you, console you, renew you, and guide you. I will carry you through this, Mandy. I am the Lord Almighty. Is anything too hard for me? You guys, I am getting so choked up as I read that now because... I have a different perspective seven years later. We'll get into that more next week. But right now, I'll just keep reading this chapter. So I didn't realize it at the time, but I do now, that this letter was not just for me. It was for you, the precious soul listening to this. That was for you too. I had to write those words so my eyes could see it, so your eyes could see it if you've read my book, so your ears could hear it right now. If the walls of that apartment could talk, they would tell you that in the deepest, darkest moments of my life, I cried out to God, and he showed up. It might not have happened the way that I had planned it to, But it happened. He rescued me. He carried me. He restored me. And he will do the same for you, my friend, no matter what circumstance you find yourself in right now. Seven years ago today, on the morning of April 30th, 2012, Nate wheeled me into the clinic. I had no strength to walk. I barely had enough strength to breathe. In fact, I almost passed out as I was doing my breathing tre- my breathing tests, not the treatments, the tests. I weighed 93 pounds, fully clothed and soaking wet, and my lung functions had dropped down to 22%. I was admitted into the hospital and put on oxygen right away. That was the first time I had ever needed oxygen. The entire CF team, who had known me to be a very compliant patient, was in tears. They were relieved that I finally came into the hospital, but I could see the fear in their eyes. I spent the next 22 days in that hospital fighting for my life. I was too weak to even bathe myself during those first few days, 
So Nate had to live out his in sickness and in health vows. He did this by helping me shower and washing my hair, which my hair was really long, super thick. I didn't have bangs yet, so there was more of it. It was hard to wash. And I have never loved him more than I did in those very vulnerable, precious moments. His love was so strong and so full of faith when he had every right to be weak and angry. In the quiet moments of those first few days in that stark, dreary hospital room, I often wondered to myself if I did something wrong. Now, okay, those of you who are listening to this and you're thinking, yeah, you did something wrong, you were stupid, you did something wrong, it was dumb. I get it. But I want to ask you right now to put aside your opinions and, and listen to the heart of somebody who's gone through something. Listen to the heart of somebody who is learning from her mistakes, learning from the situation she found herself in, whether she put herself in it or not. Anytime we can sit here and learn from another person's story, we actually grow in, in our empathy. We grow in our vulnerability. We grow in our ability to honor other people's stories. And that is one of the greatest gifts you can give somebody, to honor their story, even if you disagree with it. So there I was, wondering if I did something wrong. Was I not faithful enough? Was I really crazy to think that God would heal me completely of cystic fibrosis? Here's the thing. Nobody can deny that I experienced some divine health over those two years. My doctor had even admitted several months prior to this hospitalization that things did not make sense. At the time, I wasn't sure why God was allowing me to experience such pain and heartache, such doubt. I didn't understand back then why I was fighting for my life. The door of death, so very close, instead of enjoying the ease of life with a physical healing that only God could provide. None of it made any sense to me. All I could do was hold on to his promises and trust that God knew what he was doing. He knew what was best. He always does. So, the third night that I was in the hospital, I somehow found the strength to stand up on my own and look in the mirror. There I was all by myself, and the face I found staring back at me took my breath away in a moment of horror and desperation. I didn't even recognize the woman looking at me. Oxygen tubes lined my gaunt, bony cheeks. My skin looked gray, the luster completely gone. But worst of all, my eyes looked lost. The spark of happiness and life that was once there had been replaced with this hollow residue of depression, sickness, and hopelessness. It's by the grace of God that in that moment I realized I had a choice. I could be bitter about the cards I had been dealt with or the road that I had walked and I could continue focusing on how much I felt God let me down, or I could choose to be thankful for my life and the time that was left. I looked at myself in the mirror and gave myself a pep, a pep talk. I said, Mandy, 
This will not be the end of your story. God has promised you that he will rescue you and carry you even to your old age and gray hair. This is not the end. Fight. Fight for the life God has given you. To be honest, I wasn't sure how things would unfold exactly. It was a very real possibility that a life of physical limitations, sickness, and struggle would be my new normal. All I did know was that it was time to be thankful for the medicine and thankful for the time that I had in the hospital to rest and recharge. God would work out the rest of my confused, hurt feelings in his timing. Well, his timing turned out to be a little sooner than I had anticipated. Two days later, my best friend Madison stopped by my hospital room with the biggest salad that she could find. My appetite had been lacking for months now, and I was supposed to be eating anything and everything so that I could gain weight, yet all I wanted was a big salad. So she delivered as only a best friend can. She handed me the container, and then she took a seat on the bed, her true intentions for the visit about to be revealed. Mandy, I have something to tell you. She began to speak as tears of compassion and love filled her eyes. I feel like God wants you to know that it's okay. You don't have to hold on to this idea of healing without medicine anymore. No one thinks you're weak. You haven't let God down. He is not mad at you, nor is he punishing you. You haven't let anyone else down at all. We just want you to get better so that you can live those dreams you've talked about so much. I give you permission to let go and let God work through medicine. What a gift her words were. Tears began to overflow as my heart began to receive the words she had just spoken over me. Those precious words of hers were answers to my prayers. Maybe you need the same kind of permission that Madison gave to me. Maybe you need to let go and let God work in ways that are different than you had imagined when you first began the journey that you find yourself on right now. Can I be honest with you? It takes more courage to hold on to your faith and look crazy than to give up on God altogether because things didn't work out like you thought it would. So I give you permission today to let go and let God. I know it's such a cliche, but when we can do it, it's amazing. So let God work in your life. Muster up the courage to trust him. Keep holding on to your faith even when things don't look like you dreamed they would. And if you don't know him, or you've pushed him away and you feel this tugging on your heart right now that's making you feel all choked up or maybe it's even making you angry, lean into that. Start asking what that's about. The creator of your soul loves you. It's not about religion. It's not about being a part of a club. It's about knowing the creator of you. Now see what I've done. Those words from Revelation should never be forgotten or ignored. In the years since that experience, I have come to realize that the real healing that needed to take place was not in my body. It was in my heart. God knew that the thing I was really yearning for with everything in me was a healing and a freedom from the fear 
and the burden of what CF could become. That's what he healed in March of 2010. The fear, the worry, the burden, the wondering if God will take care of me. All of that is gone. It's all completely washed away. Because I now know, with everything in me, that God will rescue me from my sickbed and restore me from my bed of illness. He allowed me to experience all of my worst fears, and then he rescued me and restored my joy and my health and my hope. I now fully understand what it's like to suffer from this disease. It's horrible. I never knew that before. I was always so healthy. I get how debilitating it is to have to crawl down your hallway gasping for air because that is actually easier than trying to walk down the hallway. I have faced CF-related diabetes head on. I've learned how to check my own blood sugars and give myself insulin. I've discussed the option of a feeding tube. And even though I shed some tears over the truth that those setbacks might become my reality, I overcame them and thanked God for a second chance at life. He allowed me to face my worst fears and experience such horrible things so that I could get to this place and so that this story could get to you. He knows how badly you needed to hear this story. He brought you here. I didn't. When the healing doesn't come the way that we want, when the situation takes a drastic turn for the worst, when we feel weary and we want to give up, we must choose to activate those words in Revelation. Now see what I've done. If we don't direct our thoughts, they will always be the enemy of our spirit, the enemy of our faith. We can know something in our spirit. We can have faith that God's words are true and will prevail, but our thoughts will tell us that it's not right. They will scream at us, you are crazy. And sometimes our thoughts and our emotions will even partner together, making us feel completely hopeless. We must learn to seek God in everything. Seek Him when your thoughts say, I'm never going to get better. Seek Him when your emotions are full of fear. Seek Him when the doctors can't figure out what's going on in your body. Keep seeking Him when you feel like giving up because your spirit knows the truth. Your spirit knows that every single promise in the Bible is for you. Your spirit knows this and is waiting for you to activate your faith. So encourage yourself in that. Now see what I've done. When I pause to see what God has done through my hopeless-looking circumstances, here's what I find. Several of the professionals on my medical team have told me that they doubted that I would ever see lung functions above 40%. The damage to my lungs after two years without treatments was bound to be severe. They also told me, to be prepared to be a diabetic for the rest of my life, to have to deal with CF-related diabetes. I'm so excited to report. Actually, let me back up because I've also since learned that some of my medical professionals have never seen somebody bounce back like this from 22% lung function to where I am now without a lung transplant. And I would never have qualified for one back then because 
I was not doing everything I was supposed to do. So I am so excited to report that today my lung functions average between 70 to 76%. My weight is stable. I never needed that feeding tube, you guys. And I no longer have to take insulin. I actually don't have CF-related diabetes right now. That, my friends, is the work of a gracious God. And honestly, so seven years ago, I couldn't even crawl down my bathroom, crawl down the hallway to my bathroom because my lung functions were at 22%. And this year, I'm going to run for the very first time my very first half marathon. That, that is the work of a gracious God. There's no other way to explain it. Yes, he is using medicine as his method to heal my body. But all glory goes to him and him alone. So my friend, if you are yearning for a healing in your body or your life, I encourage you to lean into God. Keep seeking him. Study his word on healing and ask him to give you wisdom. I'm here to tell you that, yes, God does heal. Sometimes he gives divine physical healing that nobody can explain. Sometimes he uses medicine to restore your health. Sometimes the healing happens in our emotions and in our hearts. I don't know why it happens in different ways. All I know is that his promises are true. And he will always fight for us and provide for us. I see what you've done. Now see what I've done. I've opened a door before you that no one can slam shut. You don't have much strength, I know that. You used what you had to keep my word. You didn't deny me when times were rough. Revelation 3, 8 through 11. It might not seem like it at first glance, but this verse is all about faith. Go read it again. You'll see it. It's about hanging on to God when your strength is gone and your faith feels fragile. That's the visual definition of faith. Hebrews 11.1 says that faith is being sure of what we hope for and confident of what we don't see. And you guys, faith is never more important than in those moments when all of the evidence counteracts our faith. When we hold on to our faith in the direst of circumstances, God doesn't ignore it. He rewards it. He opens new doors in the midst of it and extends a hand for us to walk through it with him. We must be diligent in looking for what he is doing when our faith is weak and the evidence is against us. I've come to discover that the easiest part of faith is the first step. The first step is filled with excitement and blind trust in God. It's easy to get excited and pumped up when you're in that moment. It's the steps that follow that make it hard. Those are the steps that wind through the tunnels of second-guessing, questioning, comparison, and worry. We don't need proof for the first step because we see the door that God has opened for us. But when we walk over the threshold, we often find that this new room isn't a room at all. It's a hallway. So when you find yourself in that hallway, be brave enough to keep going. Find the courage, even if you look crazy to everyone around you. 
Don't give up or run back to your comfort zone. Embrace the strength that the overcomers displayed in Revelation 3, 8 through 11. Hold on when you feel weary. Endure. Activate patience. Remain steadfast. Hold on to God's promises and do not deny Jesus. Look to God and for God in every situation. Use the strength that you do have to hold on to God's word. Activate bondage-breaking faith. It is a faith that breaks the bondage of disease, doubt, and worry. It may or may not mean that you still have an ailment. However, it always means that in the midst of it all, with bondage-breaking faith, God will heal your heart so you can fully trust Him with your life. What does it matter if you live your whole life with an illness that requires treatments and occasional hospital visits? When God is with you, opening doors that no man can shut, our circumstances don't matter. What matters is that He is there. He is working in you and through you. That's what matters. That's all that matters. So that's my story. My story of a time when I was brave enough to keep going and I embraced the courage to look crazy. Sometimes when I tell this story to people, they get super inspired. And every now and then I tell this story and people get mad at me. Uh, They think I'm dumb that I did a stupid thing and maybe I did. I had one friend ask me what it cost me. And you know what it cost me? It cost me my fear. It cost me my pride. I've come out on the other side of this having more empathy for people. Having more compassion. Not being so hard on people when they go through hard times. You know, like sometimes... We sit there and we think, gosh, just hurry up and get over it. Stop your complaining. Move on. I think what that decision cost me was so much more precious than I could ever have imagined. I didn't really lose any ground health-wise. Obviously, I'm going to run my first half marathon this fall. And I would probably do it all the same way again, knowing what I know now. I don't want to. That's not, that's, that's not me professing to God that I, I will do it again. Nor do I think that anybody should follow in my footsteps because it could have ended really badly. I could have died. I really could have. So I have a lot of thoughts on perceptions about faith and healing, and um, all kinds of different things when it comes to believing in God and um, things that we think as Christians and how we can actually end up hurting people more than helping them. And I'm going to talk about that in next week's episode. I'm actually going to have my best friend Rachel come with me, and um, she has a lot of great insight. And she was also somebody that through everything I've been through, just knew how to encourage me and show me love when there were moments where I probably wasn't very lovable. So that's what's happening next week. Um, Hey, we also have, I just have to remember to remind you 
that we also have the She Who Overcomes coaching program. Our summer coaching program is happening in June and part of July. So if you haven't registered for that yet or you're thinking about it, um, go ahead and go over to our website where you can get all of the details. I would love to just equip you with the skills that that you need so that you can overcome every circumstance and you can be a light for others, that, that you can be that leader for other people because you've learned how to lead yourself in overcoming. So you can find all the details for that at bigbluecouchcoaching.com forward slash SWO. I know it's a mouthful. I'll say it again. Bigbluecouchcoaching.com forward slash SWO. I cannot wait to spend six weeks with you guys um, online. It's a virtual program. People will be joining us from all over the country, maybe all over the world. And so I look forward to helping you through that through the summer. And I look forward to having an honest conversation with you next week as we take a break from the She Who Overcomes book and we dive into a very vulnerable conversation. All right. Be blessed, be healthy, and be inspired. Bye-bye. We will be back with another episode for you next week. For now, if you would take a moment and write a review or subscribe to the podcast, that means the world to those of us who work so hard to produce every single episode. For more information, go to BigBlueCouchCoaching.com or find me on Facebook and Instagram under Big Blue Couch Coaching. A shout out to my hubby, Mr. Nate Anderson, for editing this podcast. And most importantly, I hope that you found something today that gave you the courage to rise up and overcome that thing that you've been facing. You're stronger than you think. I'll see you next week.